0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.
1: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Good day to you. May 7th. Years flying by, is it not? I think I always say that. I just think it's getting older. We're getting old. Which one is it? Wow. Warren Buffett has his little powwow that he does. You know, and again, I'm not... Powwow is... God. You can't say anything these days, right? I probably offended someone with the word powwow. I like the way Uh, you say that. Warren Buffett does his little thing where he gets together once a year on a big week and gets shareholders out there, it kind of turns into a a thing. But what's interesting about it is when he talks, most people listen in the world of investing. He's had that good of a career. And if you review what he's done as as an investor, and if you practice what he's done as an investor, it'll take you probably further than anything else I could throw out at you. So Warren Buffett... Um, is all about cash flow. He's all about consistency. Warren Buffett is about great companies. <clears throat> it doesn't always work out to his favor. But, for instance, Apple, a company that I own, opened at a record high the weekend after Buffett said he had doubled down on praise for the company. Warren Buffett last week revealed his investment firm, Berkshire Hathaway, bought 75 million shares, or $11 billion worth And he talked about how the user base is 95% or higher happy with their product. And no other companies out there can do that. It's pretty interesting. Because then you start thinking about other companies that have got great product. And maybe you come up with one like a SodaStream. I own no shares of SodaStream, but I get it. People like the product, right? So Buffett can teach us a little thing here, a little thing there. I don't think you want to go too crazy with it. With, you know, the Warren Buffett archive, Um, it doesn't take a lot to figure out, you know, his best investing tips. Warren Buffett believes investors should, should buy stocks within their circle of competence. Have you ever seen someone invest in a company that they really don't have any clue about? For instance, I'll give you a good example. I bought that company cryo medical sciences many years ago that froze cancers because my dad had a cancer and the story was like, that's a good story. I get it. Warren Buffett's three best investment tips are tied towards invest what you know from 1965 to 2017 Berkshire's Hathaway stock. That is all the stocks that he owns as a group generated a 20.9% annual return compared to just 9.9% for the stock market. So, that's like someone who gets two two hits to everyone that someone else gets. You're like, I like that. I get it. So, circle of competence is one of those things that, again, have you ever seen anyone just get in over their heads with a stock or a house and try to explain to you like why Belize is the next, you know, scuba safari capital of the world, and scuba safarians from around the world are going to come and rent my condos that are. Only have three walls, and I think they'll be okay during hurricanes. And you're like, Oh, wait, wait. So, different people understand different businesses, and I totally know that. The important thing to know which ones you do not understand, and when you're operating within what Warren Buffett would say, is your circle of confidence, your circle of competence. He wants to know if business can make money and be confident on sustainability. <clears throat> He's long gone after things like um, BIC, you know, the company that makes razor blades because men are going to shave every day for the rest of our lives, is the idea. More men are being born today than ever, is the idea. So in, in the book called The Intelligent Investor, you know, once you crank into your mental apparatus and you start looking at, you know, charts on stocks and you know trading ranges and how much cash they have. Some of the metrics compared to other companies: price to sales ratio, price to earnings ratio. You know, at that point in time, you really just got to like drill down, look at it as a piece of business. And like I said, you know, the loyalty rate for Apple is that similar to the loyalty rate for Razor Blades? I was recently in a small city driving through with a friend, and uh, out of nowhere, I saw a Dairy Queen and. The, pop in the head was like, ooh, dairy queen. Right? And everyone knows they've got the blizzard, they got that ice cream thing, and like you're like, put that in the back of my head for when summer comes around. One final piece of business advice that Warren Buffett will say is the margin of safety. He doesn't want you to try to drive a ninety eight hundred pound truck over a bridge that says capacity ten thousand pounds when there's another bridge that says capacity fifteen thousand pounds. So try to cut down on your risk early in a prospective investment. Try to find some value in that investment, and then you won't feel like, I don't know if this truck is going to collapse or not. The difference between the two figures you know, of high margin of safety and something you're comfortable with losses in is pretty important. So Warren Buffett, again, one of those people that anytime he talks, Wall Street stops and listens, CNBC basically shuts down for the guy, um, which is, uh, I think, rightfully so. Charlie Munger talked a little bit about Elon Musk and had nothing but bad things to say about Bitcoin. Nothing but nice things to say about Elon Musk. Um, he was glad that we're looking at a trade deficit with China, but not necessarily a trade war. Charlie Munger is Berkshire Hathaway's right-hand man, and he's... He, he's not in very good shape. And it worries me because I think he's slightly younger than Warren. Maybe not. I, I don't know. I don't want to guess their age. But um, these are smart people. When they talk, we listen. So CEO of Tesla, Elon Musk, trolled Berkshire Hathaway on Twitter. And uh, Elon Musk is going, I don't know, he's going a little crazy these days. His tweets are like things like, I'm going to start a candy company and call it amazing. Okay. That's not the Elon we want to pay attention to. Munger said of Tesla, it's already created more significance than anybody had predicted. Its founder is bold and brilliant and he swings through the fences. People like that, you know, the remarkable results he's getting. Anyway, I will talk to you soon. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.
0: Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay
1: Area Airwaves, weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show, of course. I do appreciate it. I promise if you listen, I will do my best to revitalize myself from time to time and come up with great content for you. I want you to jump from high school to college. I do believe a college education is still important or an education with someone like Oracle or Facebook. Those intern jobs now are priceless because they lead to jobs. They lead to networking. One of the biggest regrets I have in my life is I didn't network better. And to this day, I still dislike networking. And networking is the, it's the craziest thing. As a parent, you can network and be nice to other parents. And when your kid gets left behind at a school, someone stays for him. So what do you do in life? Do you network? Do you not network? I believe in networking. But forget all of this networking, schmetworking stuff. Let's talk about the Kentucky Derby, the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes, the Preakness. Are there financial lessons to be learned?
0: the Kentucky Derby. It was very close for a second. Audible may have got there inside of Good Magic, then it's still Regard. In a final time of two minutes four point two zero seconds, he's
1: still. A- it was a messy one. It was sloppy. You thought, please just don't let a horse die. Horse breeding is a huge business. How big of a business? Thirty-nine billion dollars. Wait, 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 wait. Did he just say the... Okay, wait, wait, no, wait. wait. You're talking about raising a horse and and running it. I'm also talking about the sexy part, the the getting it on. Horse breeding is a huge business. So justify, he could be done. Time to stud. Horses are in a ton of money just for having the mares line up to have a little bit of... uh, uh, Not so private time with them. Now I know nothing about horse races. I know less about owning horses, but thirty-nine billion dollars tells me the state of Kentucky kind of figured out a business. It kind of made something very unique to them. Like you're trying to see Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, um, trying to figure out like how how do you make this the world attraction? How do you make Paris a world attraction? And then how do you make Toulouse? Or other cities attractive? What sort of jobs can you have? So, it used to be common for top-end racehorses to get sold into retirement. But today, the owners are saying, you know what? I'm going to hold on to this guy. There's a bigger payday coming from the stud fees. If a stallion's doing well and has potential to get bigger and better, the owners want to retain and keep the bigger share. They may take in some business partners. Like, hey, we just won the Kentucky Derby. Who wants to, you know, help us open up? A, how shall we say, an Airbnb for horses? Because they don't have a lot of money from winning the, uh, the Kentucky Derby, and they want to come up with their own Airbnb idea that spans all of Kentucky. Honey, let's stay at the hotel that Justify stayed at. I don't even want to get into that because now my mind's going to sick places. So, partners are a big thing in the business of breeding horses. Who would have known? Like I said, it used to be if you won, that horse, you know, um, suddenly it was worth millions. And if you lost and the horse broke his legs, then he was worth like a, a jar of glue, Elmer's glue. So it's a timely and potentially risky investment. So now now we're getting somewhere. Investing in horses could be an investment. It's a class, an asset, right? Just like investing in stocks. Stocks are assets and bonds are assets and real estate. You're talking about children here. These are horses that are three and a half years old. They're not children in horse's age, but children in our age. But it's complicated, the only thing that matters to guarantee a stud fee, though, is that you can produce a, a, a horse that can stand and, and be nursed. That's the only thing you have to have. Baby horse is called, ladies, gentlemen, a foal, right? F-O-A-L. I could be wrong. But in that stallion's first couple years of being a stud, the fee starts to, to lower. It typically takes about five years to produce produce enough spawn and prove that his horses that he produces could be winners can you imagine that like that would be a great job i'd like to be a stud and put out in the field but then they wait a couple years to see if the children you make are sickly and, and and pasty they may put you down whereas if they you know, are rocking it out and thumping their chest, this asset that you just got just has more value. But it took 5 or 6 years to see that value, right? But the fact that that stallion did well at a, a racehorse once we're we're good. But then you still have to get the proof in the pudding. Oh, the, the terms I'm using, pudding? Oh my. Seriously? My. Like baby pudding? I don't even want to go there. So, there's over 20,000 horses born in the United States and Canada every year. I know you're thinking, I would have thought that number would have been higher. I don't know. After the birth, the owner has to decide whether to keep that offspring or sell them. So breeders are going to sell them as weanlings. Weanlings are usually six months to a year old. I know you're saying, man, horse racing's got some crazy terms. Wow! About about 40% of the horses that are sold as yearlings, ages one to two, average price is about $75,000. Now, the most expensive breeding stud out there right now is a horse named Tappet. So, And he set the record for three years in a row. His breeding fee is $300,000. Whoa. Well, wait. I want you to do the math here on this one because I, I only have an abacus. $300,000, and wait, 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 wait. You're going to love this. He does it 125 times a year. Really? I, I, I'm i not making this stuff up. So that's big business, right? Yep. Yep. So um, that breeding fee alone is, what, $37 million a year? F- of my horse wants to meet your horse? Give me $37 million, please. Whoa. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing more. Find me online at robblackshow.com.
0: Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by
1: going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220, KDOW. So take me back to the net. we slow well, music this music makes me want to die sweet it's kind of like that avici music too soon too soon Don't. so i just did a segment where i talked about horses and breeding horses and how much money there is there i can't say that i was shocked to the point of of negativity but I definitely got in the wrong business, it feels like. But it also, again, shows you that like certain states and geographies can thrive. The Bay Area is famous for tech companies. But at one point in time, the Bay Area was famous for defense companies. And at one point in time, will they be known for their biotech companies? Because they have some good ones that have come through here. Usually become, go on to become divisions of other companies. But they've had some good ones. So I just talked about horses and how... Breeding horses is, is big business. It's like the underwear gnomes, you know? You'll figure out the business model, but first you need the underwear. Phase one, collect underpants. Phase two, phase three, profit. So I think the area that I kinda want to get into now is horses can be profitable. We see those as assets, right? What do you see your, your, your son or daughter as? Asset or liability? You've got a beautiful little baby. It's like that Beatles song. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I know you're saying. You're ruining it for me. You're ruining one of the greatest songs ever. You will never, ever, ever have a career in singing. I know. Beautiful, beautiful. And then the episode, the very special episode of This Is Us where... The kid does the translation. He's deaf, but, oh, oh my, my! and then he boy. goes home. He goes home and he makes a baby. So I did one segment on horses and babies. Let's do a segment on humans and babies. Now, we all look back at college and think of it as expensive. I remember getting mad at a professor at one point in time because he was the easiest professor to get off track. So let's say it was a science fiction class, right? And we had to read Isaac Asimov. We had to read like some of the greatest science fiction ever. It was part of our syllabus, our syllabi. Ursula K. Le Guin. We were supposed to read these books and come in and talk about them, right? And this guy, all you had to do was, if you didn't read the book, go. So last night on Star Trek The Next Generation... Do you notice that the Vulcan had a a slight um, character flaw? He actually was talking about his fondness for baseball when we all know that Vulcans never feel feelings. And therefore, I think the episode and then the professor would talk about this for like 45 minutes and then there's five minutes left in class. He goes, let's get to our. Oh, we're not going to get to our reading assignment. Okay, we'll have a quiz on it next week. But uh," and you're like. We just talked about Star Trek for 45 minutes, and I'm like, how much money did I just spend uh, on this one class? And it used to freak me out. I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So, this all comes back to having a kid, right? I know you're saying, how does this all come back to? Ha-? I don't know. But if you think college is expensive, oh, my science fiction class was expensive, right? And uh, it was expensive. And, um,. How expensive is it now? If you're gonna, you know, go home and make a baby tonight. 18 years from now, it's expected to be. Well, today it's it's four year college at a private university. Right now is expected to be about 167 thousand today. But if you you have a kid today, baby comes out and mom's head pops off. Mama had a baby and his head fell off. Uh, or the baby had. It was a dandelion child thing from years growing up, back when there was fields of flowers before we put cement on them in pizza huts. One day you'll wow. remember. So a four-year private school is $167,000, essentially $40,000 a year, right? And so it's 303000 expected with inflation in 18 years. And that's why you have to invest, because you have to get better than 0% in a bank. To get a degree in a public university right now, it's about $101,000. It'll be $184,000 by the year 2036, which is, again, if you do the math, pull out your abacus, left, right, move the ones on the top, then the ones on the bottom. They signify health and chi and uh, whether or not you're going to get a flu or not. And Then push the ones in the middle, and you're going to see it's going to be 184000 in 18 years. That's a lot. That's inflation, Right. It's not double, but it's pretty darn close. So you have to earn more money because it's going to be more expensive. And then it's really expensive in the first place. And I know parents who have kids and they're like, well, you'll figure out college on your own. I did. That's fair on some levels. You gave them life. You gave them the spark of, of God. Do whatever it is that you see as that moment where life began. You gave it to them. Do you owe them college? I think you do, but some people don't. Some of the universities are nearly half a million dollars. I mean, I'm quoting the average norm. So if I'm pulling up $180,000, what do you have to save to make that you know re- realistically happen? We've talked about how much you have to save to get to a million dollars. And a million dollars doesn't cover $40,000 a year of income in retirement for you, roughly. But now I'm saying, now you have to save even more to you know, help pay for this college thing. There's a good website called savingforcollege.com, savingforcollege.com. And you know there's there's components to it that are going to offend you. I think uh, running a 529 plan makes a ton of sense for most people. But you forget tuition, room and board, supplies, other expenses. So... You're talking about some people are going to be paying almost a million dollars for college in 18 years. So that's out there. You should look into what are called 529 plans if you've maxed out your 401k, your 403b, your 457. Don't stress if you haven't, but consider it. So kids are expensive. I know, right? Now you could stud a horse, but no... I'll drop that. I'll let the scientists come up with the designer jeans, if you know what I'm saying. Eureka! Designer jeans. Um. So back up a little bit. You know, we're talking about babies, right? And how inflation's going to send the cost of college from one hundred thousand to one hundred eighty thousand. How about real estate? And the kids who are born today. Do you think a kid born today, realistically, is ever going to make enough? Let me ask a tougher question. Do you think your kid, you've seen your kid run at, at T-ball, he kind of runs as if he's running in slow motion, and you're like, come on, Jimmy. Just, just move your elbows. Come on, Jimmy. Don't be the kid who can't run to first base. Um, do you think your kid's going to be the kid who's going to be able to afford real estate? That's a big question. You're not honest with yourself with his lack of baseball skills, so why are you uh, going to be honest with yourself that one day he's going to pull up a job that you know pulls in a million dollars so he can afford to live in the Palo Alto house that it will be, by that point in time, $6 million? Millennials put off buying their first home as they struggled with the after effects of the Great Recession. Now they're snapping up houses in greater numbers, and a lot of the older millennials are making up for lost time. They're bypassing the traditional getaway. Um you know the way to create home ownership value, the starter home, and they're buying larger, more expensive homes where they'd you know go straight towards that's the the family house for us. You rent longer, you move to the uh, millennial you move to the suburbs. By renting and living with your parents for extra years, many millennials can afford the price of your homes because they saved on you know they saved uh, rent. so they they throw it into their you know instead of the starter home, they throw it in the bigger home. So they're not looking for the two bedroom condo, they're looking for the three bedroom, four bedroom, single family home. So that's out there. I love all the attention that these micro homes are, are getting, and these homes that could be printed with, uh, you know, three uh, D printers. <laughs> it's like, hey, you could live in this prefab prefab, this fabulous prefab, right? All right, all right. so, that, uh, so. Some millennials are out there. They're in the news as we always want them to be. Housing confidence is one of those um, statistics that tells me housing is probably going to move higher in the short term. So if people, if home builders are confident in the amount of homes that they're building, consumer confidence in housing jumped to its highest level, then the, the home builders see that and they're like, okay, we're going to go build some new homes because people want to buy our homes. And then... People say, well, i will look at an existing home. It's got more bones and stuff. Supply is tight right now. But confidence plays a funny th- funny issue with home builders They want to see a market that's enthused before they stretch out too far. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at KDOW.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm a pretty funny guy. Like, I don't get caught up in what college did you go to. I try not to define myself as, oh, you don't understand Missouri State is a real good agricultural program, but you're working in tech. But I didn't know I was going to work in tech. <laughs> it's like, okay. Oh, what did I just bring that up for? I don't know. I think I've had a stroke. What are you talking Which about? isn't Who? funny. I've promised if I have a stroke or die that I'll do it on air. And then if I've had a stroke, I promise to be exactly like Dick Clark and stay around a little uncomfortably too long. No way. So something that I like as an investor are mergers and acquisitions. And typically Mondays are those days where you find out, did these guys really hammer out a deal over the weekend and the attorneys didn't leak the information and it's, it's real for real. And then you go and you look at the wedding plates that are announced on Monday morning, and whether it's Sprint and T-Mobile, or whether it's a healthcare company buying up another healthcare company, mergers and acquisitions are nice because a lot of people will say, I think Wall Street is a big uh, casino. Well, do you think a company just spent $1 billion at a casino, or did they buy a part of a company and if you really think they went into a casino and got drunk and said now's the time for me to spend you know three billion dollars to pick up a, a new healthcare company there was a reason for it now some companies do they go on offense with mergers and acquisitions to try to catch up to someone like a netflix or an Amazon. So, you know, when Netflix has got the movies and Disney suddenly making a, a, a move at Fox or they're making a move for, you know, yeah, Fox to get some of their old TV programs so they can maybe run a, a Netflix like service themselves. Because Disney's saying, like, I see the future. So you've seen companies like Amazon say, I see the future in healthcare. So you're seeing healthcare companies on Monday morning say we, we made a deal over the weekend with another company whether it's Signor Express Scripts or CVS Health and Aetna. Mergers and acquisitions are super important to me because it's it's showing me that it's not a casino. It's showing me that you know CVS Healthcare may value Aetna at $3 per subscriber or at $4.5 in in profit. I don't know. I kinda wanna see why are they buying each other and what price are they willing to pay? Because maybe another company will come in and say, I think that's cheap. Maybe another company will come in and say, Well, look at us. We got numbers that are way lower than that. You want value, you could shop right here. Taintedmeat dot com. <laughs> You're saying No. Yes, I will take I will take a hamburger with tainted meat and some of that that, that lettuce. You know, I heard a healthcare, uh, a food safety (laughs) inspector talk about a food inspector talk about stuff that he'll never eat at restaurants. And he said the number one thing that he'll never eat is is lettuce. He says it comes from too many sources. It gets chopped up. It gets touched too many times. And uh, he said also when you get your burger, get it well done just to just so you know. Because if there is going to be contamination, it's going to be in the the, the room temperature meat. I know. I I find people like that useful. It's like a pilot giving advice on you know what happens if a jet engine blows out. Yeah. I like to good. hear that stuff on occasion. I like to hear it. I'll be honest with you. That's important for me. I love you, people. Um, Warren Buffett is someone that i I pay a lot of attention to you should have more people than just one right maybe you really like that but then you have to start questioning motives like Susie orman she she kind of ebbs and flows and i haven't seen her in years um to me she looks like a piece of leather wearing a shirt made out of leather that looks like the shirt was meant for someone's pants to be made out of leather but she looks like a piece of leather who's wearing a piece of leather that's not meant to be a shirt, but meant to be a pair of pants. And I always thought her investment advice was just awful. And I thought, you know, she would do things like sell bankruptcy kits for $99 when all you had to do was use the thing called Google and go, how do I get out of bankruptcy? Or what do I need to know about bankruptcy? And she sold insurance that was crap insurance, no good insurance, bad insurance, um, bad insurance, bad. And she said, you know, I personally trained all my agents. And she didn't. She doesn't even know which of the stuff she was pushing. So she's made a, a career. Talking about making a career. You know, Warren Buffett made a career out of being the greatest investor of all time. She's made a career out of being like, just kind of like this annoying mother. Can I, hey, Susie, hey, Sue. She doesn't even call herself Susie. She calls herself Sue. Hey, Suze, can I, can I afford this, uh. Eight hundred dollar dress. Well, let's take a look, shall we? And then she'll like get three things from you. She goes, "Girlfriend, you can afford that dress." Or she'll say, "Girlfriend, I hate to say this, but no, you can't afford the dress." Are we really that stupid that we need to be coddled like that? I think being coddled like sour cream—that's curdled and no, then no, a curdled. You can find me online at like Show, Twitter Robleck Show, YouTube Robleck Show.